0: Mark 16 and verses 1 through to 8, let's hear God's word. When the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Uh, You may go ahead and sit down. You're you're probably aware that when you uh, read uh, a novel or um, you're watching a TV series, there are various rhetorical techniques uh, that people use to try and keep our attention And there are books written about these rhetorical techniques, uh, how to tell a story and all this sort of thing, and and, uh, it goes back to ancient times. People have different techniques. One common technique uh, to keep people turning the page when they're reading a book or to be excited about the next installment of the uh, release of uh, the Netflix uh, 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 TV series or what have you. Uh, One common technique is called a cliffhanger. So, uh, and some people actually think that uh, phrase cliffhanger came from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle when he was writing about Sherlock Holmes. And he had got so fed up writing about Sherlock Holmes that he killed off this hero by having him fall off a cliff. And there was such a huge outcry from the public to bring back Sherlock Holmes that he invented this idea that he had sort of hung onto the edge of the cliff and survived, hence cliffhanger. Anyway. Uh, A cliffhanger. Uh, This uh, verse 8 ends on a cliffhanger. Uh, They go out frightened and they don't say anything. (laughs) Okay. So what's next? And Mark, I believe, and this is what I'm going to be preaching for us this morning, is deliberately telling his story in such a way that there's a cliffhanger. And when there's a cliffhanger, what it does in our brain when we're reading the story or we're listening to the audible version of the story or we're watching a TV show, what it does in our brains, it causes us to ask questions. Why did that happen? What's really going on? What will they do next? It's all a technique to get us involved. And think. And want to hear the next thing. And Mark here is ending on a cliffhanger because he wants us to ask questions about what he's just told us. Namely, I think, three. First of all, why was the tomb empty? First question. No, I put it like that, not was the tomb empty. Why was the tomb empty? And the reason why I put it like that is because according to Mark, there's no doubt the tomb was empty. If you look down at chapter 15 verse 40, right before the passage you have a Bible open, you'll see that the same women who saw uh, went to the empty tomb the women who saw Jesus die verse 40 Mary Magdalene Mary mother of James the younger and uh, Joseph and Salome um, and they're the same women who verse 47 uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid so they saw they saw Jesus die he definitely died they saw where he was buried they got the right tomb And then uh, verse 1 of chapter 16, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and the Salome, they're the ones who go to the tomb. They're not expecting it to be empty. They're thinking how on earth is anyone going to roll back this stone because it's so huge. What's going to happen? They find it is rolled back and then they look in they find it's empty. So according to Mark, there's no doubt it was empty. In fact, I think an unbiased, you don't have to be a Christian to agree with this, but an unbiased, fair-minded historian would agree that the tomb was empty. Uh, Even Michael Grant, who's something something of a skeptical historian, he concluded that if you take the same criteria of literary standards for other ancient events as you do for the empty tomb, you have to conclude it was empty. I'm not sure he was a believer. I think he was a skeptic. I don't know. But a fair-minded, unbiased historian would have to conclude it was empty because what else, Because there are eyewitnesses. We know from the rest, the, the rest of the New Testament at least 500 at one time. Uh, but... Even that isn't the, strong, the strongest, of course, argument for the, the fact the tomb was empty is because the church grew and, uh, and if the tomb hadn't been empty that someone would have produced the body. And if you wanted to stop the Christian church, all you needed to do was bring out the dead body and say, look, here he is. And a lot of people wanted the church to stop growing. They never did that. Why? Because the tomb was empty. No, the the real question, the first question is why was it empty? And the answer the angel gives in verse 6 is he has risen. Now, of course, we're familiar with that answer from Easter Sunday, but I I doubt we really think about it very much. Uh, Perhaps we think about it in terms of comparative religions, not very commonly, maybe you think about it in those terms, I don't find many people do, but perhaps you do. Muhammad is dead. His tomb is not empty. Um, No one claims that Muhammad's tomb is empty. He's dead. Buddha his tomb is not empty. No one claims that Buddha, uh, Buddha's tomb is empty. He's dead. And of course, atheists don't claim that their heroes' tombs are empty. I, I've been... It's an interesting experience. You ever go to Moscow and you go to Lenin's mausoleum in what used to be called Red Square and they have embalmed Lenin and they bring him up again every day so that people, crowds of people can see him. And I've been there and He's definitely dead. Uh, so perhaps you think about it in terms of comparative ideologies or religions, but I wonder whether you think about it in terms of fact. Life can seem so ephemeral, floaty uncertain. Who knows, it's all a matter of opinion. Here it is, the tomb is empty, it's not a matter of opinion. And of course what that means if you're not yet a Christian here this morning is I would encourage you to to look into that fact. Christian faith is not based upon an experience, a a subjective emotional experience. It's one of the things that distinguishes the Christian faith from the cults. I've talked to many, uh, maybe not many, quite a number of Mormons over the years. And when you really push um, Mormons about their claims that Jesus came to America and all that sort of stuff, and you say to them, what evidence do you have for it? Of course, the answer is absolutely none. But it doesn't matter because it's just an experience. I remember well talking to one Mormon about this, and this Mormon just saying to me, "They, they they've seen the light." Subjective experience. But the Christian faith is is based upon fact objective fact, the tomb was empty. Why was the tomb empty? The angel says because he's risen, the physical resurrection. Well, that's the first question that we have to ask ourselves in this cliffhanger. The cliffhanger brings us in, us in in our minds, our thoughts, and our feelings to ask questions. Like, why is this happening? What's going on? What, 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 what's going to happen next? Well, the first question, why was the tomb empty? Answer, he's risen. There's a factual basis to our faith. And therefore, if you are a Christian, it should give you confidence. And as we saw last week, courage. It's a factual basis to our faith. But the second question is what on earth does this mean? Uh, Facts alone need interpretation. Okay, so he's risen, but what does that mean? And so uh, that's why, hence, the angel carries on in verse 7. Of course, all our interpretation comes from the angel's teaching, the, the God speaking through the angel. This, this young man dressed in a white robe is, of course, an angel. Verse 7, why, what does it mean? Okay, so he, why is it empty? He's risen. What does it mean? Verse 7, go tell. That's what it means. So the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is not merely that we who believe will also be raised from the dead. It is that, but it's not merely that. What it means is the whole of reality now and our experience now of reality because of the resurrection, has shifted. We now live on the other side of the empty tomb, and therefore, as Christians, we now have a global mission: go and message, tell. It's one of the distinctives of revived. The revival, of course, is in the news. Uh, these days Asbury and many other places one of the distinctives of revival is it gives you a fresh confidence in the truth of the gospel so you you speak about it what does the resurrection mean it means go tell Jesus has risen from the dead therefore go tell In other words, as a Christian, if you are a Christian here, or if you're putting your faith in Jesus this morning, as I pray you are, even as I'm preaching, as we're singing, you're thinking, yeah, this is something I can believe. What you'll find is now your life matters. Now you have significance. Now your life is not futile. Now you have a mission and a message. This isn't manipulative proselytism to sort of force people to believe something that like a like a weird sales technique This is now my life matters Now I've got something to say now I have a mission, I have a purpose, as the Apostle Paul puts at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's no longer is your life vanity and pointless and meaningless. It has a purpose, it has a point, it has meaning. You've got something to live for. You have a mission. And whether you go on the mission field as a missionary, and I hope we continue to grow and expand our number of missionaries on the mission field, whether you become a preacher, and I hope we continue to grow up preachers from the church, our workshop on biblical exposition and other ways we emphasize growing up preachers our pastoral residency you heard from Matt Anthony earlier he was praying we bring in people and give them the opportunity to learn and grow and then send them out to preach whether you are a missionary or a preacher you still or not you still have a mission and a message mums three in the morning when you're exhausted and that baby will not go to sleep I remember well when one of our, now my children are old enough, I'm not allowed to ever mention which one I'm talking about. So, one of our children, when one of our children wouldn't go to sleep, I remember well the moment when I'd been up all night with this child and if Rochelle was here, she, Rochelle comes at 9.30 and she would tell me that usually she was the one who was up all night, so to be fair. But this, but this time I was I was up all night with the child this time. And, I remember well looking outside the window and seeing the sunrise and thinking All right, well I'll be up all night, I guess I'd better go to work. But mums, dads It's not meaningless. You have a mission with your kids and you have a message with your kids. I'm a a, a people watcher. I love to observe body language and and how people interact with each other and what's going on. When I'm driving around Wheaton and you stop at a stop sign, you're one of those four-way stop signs where in Wheaton you're always trying to get the other person to go. Like, okay, you can go. Come on. Come on. It's all right. Go. Go. You can go. Come on. You're doing that and you look the person in the eye. And sometimes when I look someone in the eye there, I can see, almost see the boredom. It's almost, and I may be like projecting, perhaps, but I can almost see that they're thinking, you know, the most exciting thing that's going to happen to me today is I'm going to watch my new Netflix show. If you're a Christian, you have a mission. We have a mission as a church, proclaiming the gospel, a vision. You have a message. You've got something worth living for and something worth dying for. Amen? Amen. Like, it, it matters. I, I, I went to, as you know, I went to a secular school, a secular university, and many of my friends there were not Christians. And the big thing is, it's, like, it's totally pointless. There's no point to it. Of course there isn't. All they can tell you is, if you're not a Christian, look, just get through the day trying to find enough money, find something that makes you momentarily happy, and then you die, but that's it. We Christians. Go, tell. We have a mission, we have a message. You you come to church, and we were singing earlier, Crown Him with Many Crowns. And it feels like the roof has been lifted off the building. It's like a fireworks moment. You see the fireworks in worship. What happens when you're at a firework display? You go, oh, wasn't that amazing? Did you see that one? Wow, wasn't that amazing? Did you see that one? Uh, And that's what it is. You experience Jesus and you go and tell. You have a mission and, and you have a message. But all that, as Mark tells this cliffhanger, is leading up to the The real question of the empty tomb, which is not, was it empty? We've seen it was empty. Nor really, what does it mean? That's declared for us, go and tell. Nor why was it empty? He is risen. All that is told for us. The real question of the empty tomb, verse 8, the cliffhanger. This is what they did. What will we do? They went out and fled And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I almost. Uh, it's so human, isn't it? There they are. They've been told by an angel to go and tell. And what do they do? They run away and are silent. <laughs> it's so human, isn't it? They've been told by the angel, don't be afraid. And what are they? Afraid. Speak. And what are they? Silent. Go. And what do they do? Run. So human. And as I said at the beginning, I believe Mark is ending his gospel at this moment as a cliffhanger. Now, some of you will notice if you have your Bibles open that it says here, some of the early manuscripts do not include verses 9 to 20. I actually preached on the historical reliability of the Bible last Sunday evening. And you can, you can look at that online or you can listen to it online. I did a whole talk on that for 45 minutes or so. Plus, this morning, again... Some of the papers I've written on the historical reliability of the Bible are available for you for free at the bookstore this morning. You can pick them up and research into it more afterwards if you like the historical reliability of the Bible. But obviously, there are manuscripts behind the Bible. And as most modern uh, trans, uh, translators put it, some of the earliest manuscripts do not have verses 9 to 20. In fact, there's a, there's a shorter version as well that is of Mark's ending that is sometimes put in the footnotes of our, of our Bibles as well. And almost certainly those endings are not original to Mark. Probably what took place is you've got all these different manuscripts and some scribe is writing into it what uh, would be a good commentary or a good devotional conclusion because obviously we know from Matthew and Luke and from John that that's not the end of the story, that they went and told people about Jesus and the church grew. And so you get at the end, sometimes written at the end of these uh, manuscripts, you get this preaching conclusion or this commentary conclusion. But almost certainly it's not the final, uh, it was not part of the original uh, the or, or origin, original of Mark's gospel because uh, the early manuscripts don't have it. For instance, Codex Sinaiticus, which is, most people think was written about 325 AD, and it just concludes with verse 8. And that is almost certainly the conclusion. And I think, and this would be the predominant opinion among scholars these days, that Mark deliberately ends his gospel on this unexpected note. Because it's a cliffhanger. Because the point is, what will you do? That's where the whole of Mark's gospel is coming to this finale. What will you do? You remember, if you've got a Bible open, come with me back to Mark chapter 1. Here's the beginning of the gospel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's all going to be about the identity of Jesus as Son of God. And perhaps uh, you'll remember... Uh, chapter, chapter 8, when Jesus foretells his death and his resurrection, and, then he, and, and, and Peter has confessed Jesus as the Messiah, and then he calls on them, verse 34 of chapter 8, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So Jesus is identified as the Son of God, And there's a call for us to follow him. Where is he identified as the son of God? Chapter 15, as we saw last week, ultimately at the cross. The centurion says, verse 39 of chapter 15, truly this man was the son of God. There is his identity revealed at the cross. We're being called to pick up our cross and follow him and tell others about him. And then at the end... They went away, were afraid, and said nothing to anyone. What Mark is saying is, what about you? How will you respond? How will we respond? The story carries on. In the end, of course, they did go and tell other people about what they'd seen. Otherwise, we wouldn't have Mark's gospel. It wasn't, wasn't their, their, their final response was not to be silent. At the end, they got it together and went and told people about what they'd seen. But he, he ends on this cliffhanger to get us to ask the question, why is the tomb empty? He's risen. What does it mean? Go and tell. But then ultimately and really, what will be your response? It's never theoretical, Christianity, is it? It's always practical. I mean, I love theory as much as the next person. But at the end of the day, we are called to respond. In fact, in a certain sense, every Sunday morning is a cliffhanger. What will happen? Will it make any difference will anyone put their faith in Jesus will anyone repent of their sin and reconcile with their wife will anyone uh, seek the Lord to be revived with his love Will anyone go and tell? It's a cliffhanger. Who knows? I mean, I, I it's, it's fascinating. You, you, it's fascinating being a preacher. You should try it one time. You have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, really. You kind of, it's like, as the old, it's like throwing your bread upon the waters, and some may come, but you just sow the seed. And God is faithful. His word will not return to him empty. But so much of it as a preacher, you never see. You just kind of pump it out there. It's a cliffhanger. What will you do? Will you tell someone? Or will you run away scared and... Silent. Uh, in England, native to the natural environment in England, there's an animal called a hedgehog, which I'm sure you know what it is because there's probably in zoos and that kind of thing. But in England, they, uh, because the climate in England is more mild, I expect, there are hedgehogs. So quite commonly in a garden, you'll come across a hedgehog. A hedgehog is this, uh, a bit like a porcupine, but smaller and cuter. And uh, a hedgehog, if it's threatened, uh, like a porcupine, will stick out its pointy bits to keep off the predator. Uh, But unlike a porcupine, a hedgehog actually rolls up into a ball and hides and sticks out its quills. Well, they're being hedgehogs. (laughs) So many of us are, aren't we? Each of the gospel authors traditionally is associated with a, with a symbol. And Mark's gospel is associated um, not with the symbol of a hedgehog. But with a winged lion. It's a cliffhanger. Are you going to be a hedgehog or a winged lion? Mark is saying, over to you. Let's pray together. Well, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for this opportunity to study it together and Mark's Gospel over the last uh, few weeks and months. And we pray, Lord, that as we review in our mind what we've learned about you, Lord, being the Son of God and the call to follow you by picking up our cross and how your identity is revealed at the cross. Uh, Lord, as we come now to the finale, and have this unexpected cliffhanger where mark turns to us through the pages of his book and invites us to write the story of the gospel in our own lives we pray lord that uh, we would do so help us not to be hedgehogs to hide uh, in fear but to be more like a winged lion, boldly proclaiming the gospel. Uh, For this we need your help, and we have it, Lord, in the power of the resurrection. You are the Lord Jesus, is raised, his spirit is sent among us, and so Lord we pray for that raise resurrected power of Jesus by his spirit to animate us afresh that we might go and tell. For we pray it in Jesus' name, Amen.